Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Oh, good evening. Yeah, I already explained myself about why we didn't have church last week, right? Everybody out of the office and with camp and me traveling twice to Rushville and other stuff. And then, actually Wednesday was the day I tore my leg up. And somebody, I can't remember who it was, I don't know if you're in here, bothered to point that out to me on Sunday. You know, it's because you canceled church that you tripped and uh, tore your leg up. Who was that? Who was that? Because I want to rebuke you publicly. Was it Don? Was it you? Yeah. (laughs) No, 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 no. Anyway, so uh, Brother Phil back there, wave wave your hand around for a second. He he, uh, he called today. Uh, I don't know how many of you have met him or know him. I didn't until today when he called, although our paths have crossed many, many moons ago. He was calling, asking questions about VBS, and we got to talking, and he shared a little bit of his testimony with me. He came to Christ under the ministry of James Rackley at a full gospel meetings. He was an, he was a, he was an Urbana cop, and uh, James Rackley, of course, was a Georgia State trooper who was part of then-Governor Jimmy Carter's uh, bodyguard detail. And he spoke at a full gospel meeting, and uh, uh, one thing led to another, I don't think it was at that meeting, it was later at a home study where you met him and, and came to Christ back in the 70s, right? And so he's here uh, with us tonight. Good to have you with us, man. And uh, tonight, uh, on the eve of our Independence Day celebrations, I'm going to share with you some passages from our Declaration of Independence. Are you excited, students? Yeah, all right. It's a yeah, big day, and I have totally dropped the ball in terms of fireworks. It's, uh, anybody know if the store over in... The Shelton, whatever it is, the fireworks over there is open tomorrow. Anybody know? Probably is, right? All right. I'm going to start reading this, and I'm going to read everything pretty much except for the grievances. Starts out this way. When in the course of human events, and you can say along if you've got it memorized, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We're leaving, and we want to tell you why. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Notice it says right there in our Declaration of Independence that we are created and that we have a creator. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted, instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to effect their safety and happiness, 
Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Now it's kind of wordy, but you hear what they're saying, right? Old TJ had a way with words. And it's interesting that he says, look, when government becomes so, we've got these inalienable rights, unalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, among others. And that when a government reaches a stage where it's doing more to interfere with those things than to support those things, it's the right, it's the duty to throw off that government. But he doesn't stop there. And to institute a new government based on right principles. Now, this is the tricky part, especially considering what we've read in Romans about government. You know, we're going through the Bible still on Sunday mornings, kind of. <laughs> and, uh, and what we just read in Ephesians about submission and authority. How do we square that? If we are really to submit to those who are in authority, how do we square that with revolution, with throwing off government? But there actually is a biblical precedent, and it was sanctioned by God himself If you'll turn, you'll have to turn. You can listen if you want. I'm going to read out of 1 Kings chapter 11. This is right after Solomon died. Rehoboam is sitting on the throne of Judah. And uh, you remember, I, I hope, that Rehoboam gathered counselors to himself. How should I rule? How should I govern? And, and, and his father's counselor, Solomon's counselor, said, you know, Solomon was a great king, but he really, uh, there was a lot of taxes involved because he was building so much. Rehoboam, it's all built now. So if you want to be a winner, if you want to be great in the eyes of the people, relax their burden. You don't need to conscript all this services, all these services and all these workers to build stuff because everything your father envisioned has been built. We don't need to collect all these taxes for the same reason. He said, thanks, I'll take that under advisement. And then he gets a bunch of young guys his own age and says, what do you guys think I should do? They said, oh, don't do that because they'll think you're weak. You've got to come on even stronger than your father. Not only should you not lower taxes, you need to raise them. Not only should you not... Uh, uh, you know, get rid of the draft, draft everybody into some kind of service. And so this is, these are the ones he listens to. And what happens as a result? The people leave. There's a revolution. People just, they went, fine. If that's the way Israel's going to be, guess what? We're not going to be Israel anymore. And Jeroboam, the servant of Solomon, becomes a leader. Now, here's what happens. In 1 Kings 11, beginning in verse 29... Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite met him on the way and he had clothed himself with a new garment and the two were alone in the field. And Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give 10 tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. 
This is, by the way, this is prophetic. This is right before everything I just described. And, uh, but he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, all these other gods, uh, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him a ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my statutes and my, uh, my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, ten tribes. And to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name, put my name there. So I will take you... And you shall reign over all your heart desires, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways, and do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house, as I built for David, and will give Israel to you. That's pretty huge. He knows what's going to happen, and God is sanctioning this split. He's telling him, I'm going to give 10 of Israel's tribes to you. And he knows that what's going to precipitate this is a lack of submission to the rightful king of Judah. But what was it that led to that? The fact that they had abandoned God. They didn't leave him for purely selfish reasons. All this, le- all this came from the fact that, that Judah itself had begun to allow these things to creep in under the rule of Solomon. That's what opened the door for it. Now, we will come back to this issue, kind of, but just in a little bit. And we're going to see if we can wrestle with this as New Testament believers. But then, back to the Declaration of Independence, there's a list of specific grievances against the king and against Britain. And then it winds up with this. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, to conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Powerful, powerful words. And again, super important that they are invoking God in this whole enterprise. They look to nothing less than the divine order in order to justify the separation. And that's good. And it's necessary to convince a society that, has, that at that time was still putting a premium on divine order. Now I'm going to share a famous quote with you from a little bit later in America's history. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. In her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. 
Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Now, I have a dollar in my pocket for anybody who can tell me the source of that quote. What did you say? Who said that? You said Tocqueville? I'm going to give that to you because that's the answer I was looking for. However, and you dropped it. Tocqueville did not really say that. That's, that's famously attributed to Tocqueville, Alexis de Tocqueville, who came, toured America, uh, and famously wrote Democracy in America, which is a long book. And uh, he really didn't come to that conclusion. He had some interesting and encouraging things to say about religious life in America, but he didn't say that. That quote is actually uh, a twisting of something that was said by two English ministers in the early 1800s. And the way they ended that quote was actually this. If America is good, she will be great. Kind of different, isn't it? The danger here, as you can probably see, is in assuming an inherent goodness in America. Uh, American exceptionalism, I think, is the vogue phrase. And uh, you need to know something before I go any further. I love this country. I really do. Uh, But loving this country does not mean that we can't acknowledge this country's sins, this country's weaknesses. I think democracy is the best form of human government. But listen to this quote. You want a great quote about democracy? Listen to this by C.S. Lewis. You may think all men so good that they deserve a share in the government of the commonwealth. And so wise that the commonwealth needs their advice. That is, in my opinion, the false romantic doctrine of democracy. On the other hand, you may believe fallen men to be so wicked that not one of them can be trusted with any irresponsible power over his fellows. That, I believe, to be the true ground of democracy. I love that because that's a key difference. Lewis is acknowledging man's sinfulness. The old absolute power corrupts absolutely. The reason democracy is good is because it doesn't put all the power in the hands of one man because no one man is worthy of that because we are all fallen. So we spread it out. So here's the question. What are we as believers in a democracy that is turning from God supposed to do? Well, as citizens of the United States of America, we make our voices heard, primarily at the ballot box. But also, we involve ourselves in government. We run for office, attend meetings, and above all, we live this stuff out. We live the gospel, we preach the gospel. And actually, above all that, this is the biggie. We remember that we are not first and foremost Americans. First and foremost, we are Christians. Philippians chapter 3. The title of this message is, This is My Country. That may have been my favorite song to sing in music class in grade school. I still love it. 
Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is, is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So here's the question. Are we citizens of heaven? Are we citizens of the United States? Yes, we have dual citizenship. That is not a non-biblical concept. Paul, who wrote this, very famously claimed citizenship in Rome when he was being arrested. Okay? Dual citizenship does not mean divided loyalty. doesn't need to doesn't automatically mean that. My, my loyalty to America means that I pray for this nation, means that I desire the best for the nation that I was born in and that I live in. And to the extent that the laws of this nation do not contradict the laws of God, my loyalty means that I obey the laws of this nation. I will defend this nation from all enemies, foreign and domestic as long as this nation adheres to the Constitution. I want to read you two oaths. One is the oath of office for a uh, military officer being commissioned, and the other is the oath of enlistment. The officer's uh, oath goes like this. I, Scott Millis, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I'm about to enter. So help me, God. Oath of enlistment is similar. I, Scott Millis, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to the regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice, so help me God. And that is a choice that men and women make every day. And many of them are believers. They are not being disloyal to God by swearing allegiance to this oath. And the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States of America are certainly worth defending. Because they provide a framework for the best of all human governments when it comes to spreading the gospel. There is nothing wrong with being a Christian and being a patriot. But we can't conflate those two things. We can't conflate patriotism with devotion to Christ. I was a huge Reagan fan. Uh, Reagan was the first president I was old enough to vote for. And he, is, so far, is the only president I have wholeheartedly voted for. Ever since then, there have been at least, uh, it's been like, well, I'm kind of voting for this guy just because I don't want this guy in there. Uh, Reagan, as many of you no doubt remember, was fond of referring to America as a city on a hill. Does anybody remember that? 
Uh, he was not the first president to do that. Kennedy did the same thing. Both of them learned it from John Winthrop of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, uh, who really thought that we were a city set on a hill. But that phrase has its origins. Guess where? Yeah, Matthew chapter 5. We can turn there. Matthew 5, beginning in 13, you are the salt of the earth. This is Jesus speaking. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. America is not the city set on a hill. You are. We are. The church is. The body of Christ is. That's who we first belong to. And no matter how much we appreciate this nation, and no matter how much we benefit from being citizens of the United States of America, we must never forget that our true citizenship is in heaven. I'm going to read you another passage. I know I'm reading a lot of other people's stuff tonight. This is from a great article I just read from a a pastor named Jonathan Lehman. And this is just a a section of it. It says this, church gatherings. He was talking about the, uh, he wrote the article about should we celebrate the 4th of July in church? Okay, and when I saw the title, I thought, here we go. This is going to be one of these uh, anti-American things. I've seen so many things lately. I've shared many of them on Wednesdays and Sundays. It really gets under my skin where you're not a true Christian unless you're protesting this, that, or the other thing. Anyway, it didn't go that direction at all. But here's what he says in this, in this passage. Church gatherings re- represent nothing if not a celebration of our heavenly, not earthly citizenship. The Lord's table is by definition a multinational one. Certainly Christians should thank God for any good that he has given through one's nation. Paul argued in the Athenian Areopagus that God himself marked the times and boundaries of the nations. He exhorts churches to intercede for our rulers, to give thanks for them, to honor them. So let's pray and give thanks. Maybe even spend a few minutes, a few extra minutes on the Sunday closest to a national holiday doing so. My own church thanks God for the ability to worship freely and prays for political leaders nearly every Sunday. We pray for America's prosperity on every front in our schools, our businesses, our military, our entertainment industry, our homes. Christians have a, listen to this, Christians have a vested interest in promoting just, fair, happy, and healthy nations because free and peaceful nations provide an opportunity for people to get saved. They provide a platform for God's work of redemption. Citizenship. What does it mean to be a citizen? A citizen is someone who legally belongs to a country or a nation. A citizen has rights that non-citizens don't have. A citizen adopts the customs, values, traditions, and in many countries, the language of the country A citizen enjoys the protection of the nation's resources. Now, I want you to think about that in terms of our being citizens of heaven. We have rights and we have protections. 
and privileges as citizens of heaven that non-citizens simply don't have. But we are expected to adopt the customs and values and traditions and language of heaven. Most of us in this room, maybe all of us, I don't know, we're blessed to be born here. But I'm going to read to you now the oath that citizens, uh, immigrants have to take to become naturalized citizens here. This is pretty intense. I don't know how many of you have ever read this. I, uh, some of you, were you at Felucia's uh, ceremony? It says here, I, de- I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. That I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by law. That I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by law. That I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by the law. And that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me God. I remember thinking, and this just now occurred to me, this isn't in my notes, so I'll try to rush through this. I remember thinking when Beth and I were going through the adoption process, how many hoops we had to jump through and how many home studies we had to submit to and, and background checks, especially because we were originally going to adopt internationally. We had to not just do a state background check, we had to get a background check through the FBI. And, uh, and again, the home studies, they had to determine if we were fit. And I'm thinking, Wow. Why didn't everybody have to go through this? You know, there are children born every day to utterly unfit parents. But it's their natural right because it's their natural kids. And you and I and millions of people born into this country who have no intention of honoring an oath like this because of the accident of being born in America. But if you want to be an American, you have to take this oath. Now, when we commit our lives to Christ, we are taking an oath of loyalty to Christ as our king. That's where the illustration breaks down is because nobody accidentally is born into the kingdom of God. If you're going to be in the kingdom of God, if you're going to be a citizen of heaven, you have to decide to accept his offer. Now, when we take that loath, that loath of loyalty, that oath of loyalty to Jesus Christ, guess what? Whether the United States of America appreciates or recognizes it or not, that makes us valuable to the United States of America. It makes us better citizens. We are we, the church, are good for America. But American culture, as it moves further and further away from the biblical truth, has to be resisted. If we are going to remain loyal citizens of heaven, we are going to be exposed. We will stand out, is what I mean. We cannot 
we will be unable to hide our lamps. And if we are burning, as we should be, the descending darkness will cause our lamps to burn all the brighter. We will be more and more obviously different. I love this country. Praise and worship team, come up here. I want to do something maybe a little corny. When I, uh, somewhere in the middle of my officer basic course back in 1987, Fort Benning, we celebrated the 200th anniversary of the Constitution of the United States, which wasn't ratified until 1787. 1787, 1887, yeah, 1987. And so we had a celebration. And uh, there were 200-ish men in our company, and there were, there were uh, four other companies there, so about five companies of brand-new second lieutenants going through training, and the commandant wanted us to parade. Everybody loves a parade, right, Chris? Nothing better than standing at parade rest for hours thinking about nothing but am I locking my knees, right? So you do this for a while, and the speeches are made, and then this was the part that I absolutely enjoyed, and I still get goosebumps thinking about it. We marched by companies around the parade field, uh, passing the grandstand, saluting the general as we went by, and he wanted us, this was by the general's orders, he wanted us to sing. But we weren't singing the Star Spangled Banner. The general's request was that we sing God Bless America. 1,000 healthy young officers singing God Bless America. Stand up with me. We're going to sing it. But we're not going to sing it as a, Yo, America. (laughs) This is a prayer. This is a prayer. I want us to sing it as a prayer. Can we go ahead?
serve this nation, restore this nation, revive this nation, use this nation in these last days. Hallelujah. Before we leave, I would really be missing it if I didn't ask you this. We talked a lot about oaths and swearing, starting with the oath that they made right there in the Constitution, the pledge that they made to one another officer's oath, the enlisted oath, the immigrant's oath. And America is a great nation. It's done great things. But if Christ tarries, this nation isn't going to last forever. This is another great observation by Lewis. Empires and nations are not eternal. They're transient. People are eternal. People last forever. You are going to live forever. The question is, are you going to live forever in the presence of the God who created you for his kingdom? Or are you going to live forever separated from him? Would you like to be a citizen of heaven? Would you like to take that oath of loyalty to Christ the King tonight? If there's anybody here who has never done that, you know what's at stake. You get all the privileges of heaven, but you're taking on the responsibility and a commitment to adopt the values of the kingdom of heaven. All the work has been done. You don't earn your salvation. It's bestowed on you. It's given as a gift, but there's an expectation. Are you ready to rise to that? Is there anybody who wants to give their life to Christ tonight. I'm going to pray a quick prayer and we're going to close with a quick song. As soon as I'm done praying, as soon as we start singing, if you want to make that decision tonight, come up here and let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this country. Thank you for the blessings that we enjoy, the freedom we enjoy, the privilege that we have of standing here right now without fear, singing your praises, worshiping your name, reading your word, declaring your name, declaring your glories. You've blessed us greatly. Help us not to squander the freedom that we have, the privileges that we have before it's too late. Fill us with your spirit. Grant us boldness to truly live the gospel and preach the gospel. And I pray, Lord God, if there's anybody in here tonight who does not know you, who has never made that pledge of loyalty to you, who has never received the free gift of salvation, that you would grant them repentance tonight. Move on them, Lord. Grant them the courage the humility and the boldness, everything they need to receive that gift now. In Jesus' name, all the believers said, amen. God bless you as you come. Let's go ahead and sing. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.